This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My guest this week in the studio, Jen Mayer. She is the person who knows about something a lot of people don't know about. Or think they know about, but they or, don't. Or think they, that's precisely <laughs> right. Gender. We're going to talk about it. Jen is a clinical associate professor in the Gender Studies Department at Indiana University. Yes. Jen, thanks for being on Big Thank Talk. Thank you for having me. I imagine this whole process of all of us trying to figure it out is making a lot of people's heads explode sure. right now. You know, this has been the way it's always been in that people have always experienced their genders in ways that uh, have not been reflected in mainstream society. So it's not as if people who have felt a certain way uh, have just sprung up out of the blue. Mm-hmm. We're now just trying to make it so that our language and um, our way of communicating and our way of being in the world respects, I think, uh, people's experiences of who they are and how they inhabit their bodies. First question, just like Richard Feynman. Okay. What is gender? Okay, well, of course I'm going to say that's not an easy question. Uh, It is and it isn't. Okay, so if I was to talk about it in, say, an intro class, uh, which I teach, I teach a 200-level class, and um, we, uh, the, the most common way of thinking about it Uh, at an intro level is to say that, you know, we have sex and gender and that sex is often uh, uh, something that is assigned to you by biology. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though we know it's not quite that simple for sex, it's not even one biological marker. But in general, for an intro kind of, you've got sex and then you've got gender. So gender tends to be associated more with cultural Mm -hmm. tropes and how one uh, expresses masculinity or femininity and how that is, in fact, uh, a cultural construct that varies widely. Uh, across history, across time, within other identity markers. So, for instance, being a white female college student at IU in 1952, say, is a very different way of being a gendered uh, female college student at IU in 2019, right? That's a basic example. And it would be different in another country, and it would be different if one was white or non-white. So essentially, we came up with the term gender to differentiate, sorry, differentiate it from sex, differentiate it from biology, because there's a whole bunch of ways in which we inhabit are gendered selves that have nothing to do with, say, gonads or ovaries, Mm. but are cultural and influenced by culture, which is not to say that uh, biology doesn't play a role, because it does. Nobody believes that biology doesn't exist, but gender is a way to talk about cultural elements more than biological ones. I'm glad you brought up the introductory level class. (laughs) Sorry, it was just like a simple quote, yeah. Now I'm going to tell you how I became aware of your existence on this planet. Oh, I think, yeah, this is great. At the bookstore, Uh at the beginning of each semester, Uh a bunch of young, it looked like to me, fresh out of high school Oh yeah, they can be pretty Would be coming in asking for romance novels. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And now, at the bookstore, the book corner where I work, uh-huh. we don't sell romance novels. Right. We figure that's 
go to Kroger, mm -hmm. you can get it there. Mm -hmm. That's not a put down. That's or not Goodwill. Good. That's or where goodwill. I said, yeah. It's Half just, price books. It's the yeah. way it is. Our yes. customers don't buy them. Okay. Right. But they would come in and they would, I'd say, geez, I don't know, go to Kroger. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say mm -hmm. to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. I got around to asking, what, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Turns out that you assign these books. Yes, now, I do. Now, what's that all about? Yeah, so in 225, I assign, uh, I make everybody read a romance novel. Uh, a Harlequin romance novel. And I mean, I come from an English degree, so I understand, you know, we tend to think of literature and then we think of like romance novels and fiction. But right. there's a couple of reasons for it. First off, uh, this is a, a genre that is enormously popular. I think the average romance novel re reader reads like seven to 10 books a week. Yeah. And I teach a couple essays with it, one of which says that certain elements of feminine consciousness is, are expressed in these novels, particularly essentially essentially this these novels give women a sense of sexual satisfaction while also feeling safe so what always happens give women the readers yes women readers okay, yeah. so what will happen always in the romance novels is it will end with love and marriage and that's one of the ways that we allow heterosexual women to be sexual right okay. if you've got a ring on your finger if it's love etc so the books are really interesting explorations into cultural norms of female se or women's sexuality heterosexual women's sexuality at a particular time and that kind of enormous pop we don't i don't make the argument that they're literature mm -hmm. right I, th that's not what they are bus magazine uh calls them one-handed reads <laughs> uh, and the essay that we that i teach the subtitle is pornography for women is different but what's interesting because we also i also do a unit on pornography like yeah. Uh, film pornography, visual pornography, heterosexual uh, pornography, um, and it's quite different. There's ways in which uh, we certain things are in place in these novels to make the women feel like they're not a slut or they're not, you know, they are good people. They're safe. They're mechanisms in the in the plot. So, yeah, for instance, yeah. there's many. Uh, first of all, there's always impediment. The characters can't get together for one reason or another, and that can range widely by the type of book. Updike actually said, desire demands impediment, right? If you have wow. something, you don't desire Not it because you have it, yeah. yeah. Uh, but in these books, there's um, usually a young woman, uh, there's a man, he doesn't communicate well, she gets him to communicate well, but he's got all these traditional hard masculinity, but she turns him around to, in, to be a loving person. She, she breaks down a wall. She does emotionally, yeah. right? She also is very sexy and beautiful, but it can't be on purpose. She'll, she'll often be wearing clothes that accidentally reveal something. Right. Because if she's doing it on purpose, then our culture says you're a slut. So there have to be all these interesting plot devices in there. And romance novels range widely from how explicit they are. They can get really explicit. Yeah, yeah. Or also not. There's Christian romance novels. There's, right. Yeah, they're all kind of ranked. And then you can get to the E.L. James uh, mm -hmm. phenomenon of mm -hmm. a few years ago. Right, right. The um, uh, 50... Uh, 50 Shades of Grey, yeah. Right. Uh, so, and Harlequin is sort of changing. I think maybe this is the first year they're even having queer romances ah. on there. But if you go to the website, it's hilarious there you yeah. could get doctor romances like set in hospitals right there used to be a nascar romance like officially licensed by nascar wow and really detailed yeah and what radway janice radway he wrote about talks about is 
uh, this is an escape for women, these books, right? Yeah. It's a way of going into your own world and finally feeling like you're just being taken care of, right? right? You're the center, you can, and you can shut out the rest of the world, sort of like the same way people watch films or play video games, but uh, in this case, it's reading. Do yeah. the students uh, sort of uh, say, uh, do I have to read them? Yeah, yeah, they do say that. Yeah. Um, some of them end up really liking them. Oh. I mean, if you go into them not expecting it to be Dostoevsky or Zora yeah. Neale Hurston, it's just like watching TV. Right. So some of them say, wow, I didn't think I'd like this. Some of them, I mean, they're not brilliantly written. So if you want to make fun of them and put in the cliches. But one of the arguments is like, it's a genre right and it's generic why do we put romances down and we don't put westerns down they right. both have generic yes so i had a prof when Formulas, i was in yes, yes it's formulaic fiction mm -hmm. why is it only the formulaic fiction that women read that gets made fun of to that extent it's women. right so i had a professor as an undergrad who brought in these big um it was a class on film and film and literature and he brought in these big paper bags of romance novels and dramatically dumped them on the desk and said this is what's wrong with art in american culture and then what we did for the rest of the class, we read Ernest Hemingway and watched Westerns. <laughs> that was our film and literature class. You had me stunned for a minute. Yeah, there, it was I? stunning. This was, you know, and this was not 1830. This was like eight, 1987, yeah. 88. And it was like, it's not unusual for us to blame all of the excesses of culture, whatever we want to call that, on women, right? And what we do, as opposed to like you know, sci-fi or Westerns, right? It's only considered embarrassing it, when women like it. So I, I guess what I'm, what I'm hearing here is that in this kind of escapist mm -hmm. literature, mm -hmm. men get to one hand read over violence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Women mm -hmm. get to one hand read over sex. Love Things and sex, yes. are forbidden. Yeah. Violence yeah. is forbidden to men. Yes. To, oh, well, to, well to, so to a certain extent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. And yeah. sex is forbidden to women. Of so a particular kind. Yeah. Of a particular kind. Yeah, yeah, right. And I think, you know, obviously these norms change and they read an essay about Harlequins written in the 70s where it was all about women trying to resist losing their virginity. That's not so much the case anymore and romance novel writers are smart. Like, women have jobs. Yeah. It, yes. You know, they, it's changed with uh, the times, but it's still very much about um, it's never not going to end in love and marriage and you can swing from the chandeliers and have all kinds of sex. But, you know, if he loves you, mm -hmm. that makes it OK. Whereas and promises. Yeah, you don't. You know, when you go to mega porn and a dude's going to or anyone goes to mega porn, you don't have to hear first that the couple involved are actually in love. Right. Before you watch the scene. Right. <laughs> now, I'm glad you're talking about changing things yeah. because, as we know, gender is being redefined. Mm -hmm. How long has this sort of redefinition been going on? Well, it depends, I guess, in what audience, because certainly the Kinsey's been, Kinsey's been doing this for a long time, uh, biologists, anthropologists, um, you know, people have been talking about this for ages. You know, people in academia. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think probably within the last 10 years or so, it's hit the mainstream in a way yeah. that's the first time I've noticed it in my generation, right? In a real kind of mainstream way, uh, people are debating these things and talking about these things. And I'm noticing it in my classes more than I ever did. 
I don't think that necessarily means that everything is wonderful, but these things are being talked about more than they were. And it brings out horrible people, right? But it Mm -hmm. also brings out people who can say, oh, I didn't know this. This is, I understand, right? Why why this could be. I wonder uh, what you might think about this. Uh, When I was really, really young Mm -hmm. and long hair Uh was becoming the signifier sure okay you uh, we know who this person is because he's wearing long hair yeah so that meant you were lefty you were anti whatever war or pro civil rights civil rights the whole thing yeah absolutely the older generation said that he looks like a girl yes right yes but the guys who were doing it we're not trying to achieve any kind of parity mm-hmm. with women. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. fact, they, they were the males should be the ones with plumage. Look yeah. at the peacock. Uh-huh, uh-huh, I, uh-huh. There was sort of a fear yeah. of blurring the gender line yeah, back and, then. And there still is. I yeah. think it really, you know, um, well, gender, we tend to think of it as a binary, and we tend to think of it as a one of, I mean, the first thing the doctor says is it's a boy, it's a girl. It's right. a way we organize knowledge. You know, on the one hand, you don't want to be too tough on people because it's such an organizational imperative, right? right? You see somebody with a baby in Target, you're often your first question is, is it a boy or a girl? Yeah. So we can't blame people necessarily for being used to thinking that way. What is interesting is that there tends to be more of an issue when it's men, say, with long hair, right? Well, I guess there's issues with... But the idea that a man would want to be more like a woman let's say he did why is that bad why would that be bad anyway it tears down the fabric of society for god's sake yeah but i think and i say this in my 225 class a lot there's a little bit more leeway so we talk about like children which is not what you're saying but um a little girl can be a tomboy for a while and that's cute right right to a point to a point as i always tell them until she's 13 and then she's going to be called a lezzy right and make fun of but we don't have the corresponding identity for a little boy who doesn't want to throw a ball or do, you know, we don't say, oh, this is my little sissy. Yeah. You know, they're not selling sissy t-shirts at Target. Right. And I think that's important because you don't want to be associated with femininity. That's almost always on some level not good. You throw like a girl. Yeah. You are tied to your mom's apron strings. You are blank whipped. I don't know if we could say that on the um you know nobody i think the apocryphal story uh was maybe bobby knight who stuffed a guy one of his players lockers full of tampons yeah so that he got the message and i tell my students why is it one of the worst things a man can call another man is a part of women's anatomy like why is that so awful and yet that's what ostensibly you all want to get into in the first place but it's it's an insult like and then we wonder why the divorce rate is 51 percent like <laughs> it just doesn't communicate you know uh, people used to talk about how the barbie doll mm-hmm. was such a, a, a an unrealistic mm-hmm. image for yeah. women to have to aspire to yeah the interesting thing i thought is is that it was it was also harmful to men too in as much as mm-hmm. The women they were meeting in real life Mm -hmm. didn't look anything like this. And this is the argument when some people are arguing against porn, too, which is that uh, it's teaching young heterosexual men that these are the bodies that women are supposed to have and that these are the things that women like. 
And I, I think it's important to point out that there are many varieties that's of That's true. And I'm not anti-porn either. There's porn being made by women. Yes. There, there is we talk a, about this, yeah. A whole gamut. Yeah. And I'm not, uh, I'm definitely uh, quote-unquote pro-sex feminist. I don't, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not making that kind of anti-porn argument. I mean, I could make that anti-porn argument. But I could also say the same thing about ads. Like, it's just as unrealistic yes. for me to see a billboard of a woman's body. Like, like I don't think it's all porn, right? right? But that is the arguments that are made, is that, although sometimes I wonder, maybe we need to give young people more credit, right? Maybe these young men really do know that that's not what the average woman looks like. I don't know. I don't think so. Not yeah. in my conversations with guys. When guys talk to guys, yeah, you know, it's yeah. just like... I'm like, a, where are you finding all like these people? A, <laughs> like a contempt, a mm-hmm. contempt for women who don't yeah. meet that standard. And that's been around since before pornography, yeah, certainly. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, it just changes by whatever cultural moment we're in, in terms of what body types are considered more attractive or less attractive. So as we're redefining gender... Mm-hmm. How will we benefit from this redefinition? Mm, mm-hmm. I think hopefully it'll allow people to not feel like they have to be trapped in a binary understanding of what men are supposed to do and women are supposed to do. I think it will give us more, hopefully, more uh, a more openness about thinking that people don't have to be constricted. And and to be fair, there are plenty of people you know have trans folks who do really say, no, I I do want to be thoroughly masculine or thoroughly feminine, and that's okay too. But I think the goal also is to give a space for people who don't feel entirely one way or the other, that they they can be comfortable and should be respected for who they are and how they want to identify, that it doesn't, gender doesn't have to be this real black and white system for everybody. I mean, I'm cisgendered woman. I'm femme. You know, I've wanted to wear dresses since I was a child my mother never let me because she was just coming into the feminist movement in the 70s when I was little so I would you know all I wanted was frilly dresses and she'd be like you have to wear pants (laughs) (laughs) this is wrong so I mean uh, just an openness to how people want to self-define I guess which brings up a point but first I want to say this Uh, if you're interested in some of the things that uh, Jen Mayer has Mm -hmm. written uh, you can go to Jennifer Elizabeth Mayer Mm -hmm. M-A-H-E-R not Mar no Mayor, and you can get her essays. Yeah, some. Inf- mm-hmm. info, yeah, yes. a lot of articles. I just set up this website, so I want people to go. Yeah, <laughs> and you've done a lot of writing. Uh, uh, yeah, l- l- let me tell you about a uh, a story she wrote in Gawker right before it went under. But yeah, yeah. more people have read that was than it your anything. Fault or what? No. no, it was that oh, was Hulk true. Hogan's fault. That's, I think you know that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> it was the Hulk Hogan lawsuit that put them under. April seventh. 2015. Golly. The article is headlined, Welcome to My Homophobic State. Mm-hmm. This is right after the recent, the then recent passage of mm-hmm. the Religious yes. Freedom Restoration Act. Yeah, yeah. I want to read the opening graph. Oh, I, golly. I, I love okay, this. Okay, okay. This is written by Jen Mayer. I live in Indiana, ostensibly a place where queer folks cannot get an appropriate florist for their wedding, and restaurants have the right not to serve two women eating together if, somehow, they are read as gay. Parenthetically, how will the waitress know, I wonder? (laughs) If they are holding hands? If they have rainbow flags on their backpacks? If they carry a copy of The Well of Loneliness? 
to be read aloud to each other over bites of a pulled pork sandwich. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I like that. That is good stuff. <laughs> I like it a lot. The Well of Loneliness, which I had to look up, uh-huh. a 1928 British lesbian novel written by someone named Radcliffe Hall, which I think screams nom de plume. Yes, possibly, yeah. And I can't talk about that book in any depth because I last, but I, it's a cultural signifier. Right. Right. It's like that book that people read as yeah. they're coming to a recognition of a non-hegemonic sexuality. I think. And by the way, portraying the lesbian world as a world of sadness, pain, yes. torture. Which, you know, culturally and political it was, it yeah. was yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, this is people's lives that could be destroyed, right? And this is another reason why we need to think of in a more expansive way about gender as well, right? Um, people have the right to be who they are. You brought up uh, that you wanted frilly things when you were a uh-huh. little kid. Again, I'm going to go back to mm-hmm. the bookstore. Sure. At the bookstore, I noticed there's just scads of little girls who come in. Aww. They are entranced by books about fairies yeah. and princesses. Yeah. Princesses is huge. It the is. whole concept. Yeah. For, uh, and that, can you get more gender typed than yeah. that? Yeah. It, it, I, I'm of two minds on that because I think there sometimes there's an overly alarmist thing like the, I can't remember who wrote Cinderella Ate My Daughter or whatever. Uh, yeah. I think that these, they're very, there can be very regressive um, depictions of girlhood. And there's a, so much to criticize in princess culture. But I also think we want to be careful that you know you can be a princess and a feminist like we shouldn't necessarily tell little girls that because you like this color or you like to dress like this that you're not gonna be able to be a strong woman i think the problem is is that there are not very many options for young i mean we're, we're trying we're trying to do like superheroes and this and that but certainly when i was a kid princesses were the only game in town yeah. and it worked for me yeah. but it certainly doesn't work for everybody and you know fairy tales are pretty retrograde in terms of gender and gender roles you know i told when jack when my little boy and i've told my class this too when we first started watching videos, which you know I wasn't going to do till he was four, and then I decided I wanted to be able to take a shower, so I would put a DVD on, <laughs> and I was, and I, this is not my generation, but I put on Kim Possible, which is you know she's a little white but uh, girl superhero who kind of kicks butt and whatever, yeah. and I was like, this is great, you're going to watch this girl do strong things, and he liked it, and at one point he said, mommy, how come her clothes don't fit her? And I realized she's wearing these midriff tops, like little, he was like, why can't she find clothes that fit? And I said, that's sexism, honey. Now listen to mommy. (laughs) (laughs) Now, wait a minute. I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you right here. When you brought up the youngin, Uh what did you call him? Jeff. Little boy yeah it's ingrained yeah. In it is that's you, what i'm saying it's a way we organize yeah it's yeah the way we organize. now um if he didn't want to be a boy if he was resisting that identity i would be okay i would go along with that jack is i think at least so far pretty he seems like he's inhabiting i mean a, a variation of masculinity for sure um but i don't i mean jack seems to be boy and plenty of kids are boy and girl right i would hope and in fact i would i'm sure that had he not wanted to be that uh, be called boy that that would be something that would be important to honor 
and I don't think it's easy for a lot of parents, um, but it's like that's that's your child and that's your job to support them. We live in what's referred to jocularly mm-hmm. as the People's Republic of Bloomington, yeah. and uh, the kids around here, to a certain extent, mm-hmm. seem to be much more accepting of gender fluidity mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. imprecision, mm-hmm. let's say. Mm-hmm. Okay. But do you think it's that way around the country no not at all and particularly not in indiana and i think it is and it isn't i think the danger is to say it's all horrible or it's all good yeah so you know for the i'm noticing it more in my classes these giant classes that you know are a fairly good representation of young people at iu i see a much more uh openness to the queer, to the non-binary, all that stuff. And and I start to feel like I've had classes, even smaller classes, where almost every kid identifies as queer. It huh. seems like, yeah. Is it sort of a rage, perhaps, mm-hmm. among certain Possibly. Circles? I think sometimes people just don't want to be defined so yeah. clearly as gay or straight or, you know. I think it's I think it's a different kind of identity. But I also think there's more acceptance of people saying that out loud. Now I say this, and I I remember telling somebody like a year ago a story about oh my gosh all my students I can't even in the last five years they're they're so open they all seem to da, da, da. and like two days later I had a student say that he witnessed a fist fight at Kilroy's because one guy called another guy a fag so it's like things change and then they don't it's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth all we're talking about mm-hmm. for gosh sakes mm-hmm. here is things changing. Mm-hmm. One of the changes that I notice, uh, the UK uh, has accepted this, by the way, United Kingdom, Uh the use of the term, it's pronounced mix or mux, and it's uh, 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 printed MX. Uh It's a replacement for Mr. Mm -hmm. or Miss, Mm -hmm. Mrs., Mm -hmm. Ms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Interestingly enough, a lot of people who send me emails from Mm -hmm. Indiana University. We'll say pronouns. At the, at yep. the signature line, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it says what program. They, mm-hmm. he, what have you. Mm-hmm. You don't. Yeah, and I think I might. I think I just actually haven't changed my signature. You haven't thought about it or something? <laughs> yeah. Also, um, yeah, and I think I probably will and should because this is something that was brought up by people who were non-binary or who wanted to make the idea that you you declare how you want to be called uh, a norm, you know? So often, you know, in a class, I'll be like, well, you know, say your name. And then I used to say, and, and if you want your pronoun. But for me to sit across from you and say, looking at me right now and say, my name is Jen Mayer, I go by she, that would seem kind of obvious, right? Mm-hmm. To you, right? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think any different because of how I represent, yeah. right? But if people like me don't start doing it, then it's only, or people who look like me, I should say, then it's going to be only the non-binary people who have to say that, right? Whereas uh, maybe we all should, I guess. And for I've never heard of this. I'm so happy. I've never heard of this mix, mux, whatever. Well, interestingly, USA Today ran an opinion piece uh, this past February. Saying, Do they like it or hate it? Well, the opinion piece <laughs> said we ought to be doing this yeah, because yeah. they're doing it in Great Britain, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, like the Driver's License Bureau, whatever mm-hmm. it's called in mm-hmm. Great Britain, mm-hmm. and the United Kingdom is mm-hmm. doing this thing. 
This brings me back to uh, the term Ms. Yeah. MS uh, period. Yeah. Do you realize it was first suggested in 1901? Wow. It, so it took about 70 years for I, it and to I become hate that. slightly. Yeah, and I've, you know, I always go by that. And, the, uh, you know, I talk to my students about it. And it's like somebody's marital, a man's marital status is not signified right. by Mr., but it is by Mrs. So why are we saying that women's you know, marriage status is an important part of their identity when it's not for men. So I've always used Ms. La, 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 la. We've run out of time, so join us Monday for Big Talk Extra during the 5 p.m. Daily Local News for more of this conversation. Jen Mayer, clinical associate professor in the Gender Studies Department at Indiana University. Mm -hmm. Thanks for being on Big Talk. Oh my gosh! Okay, yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> so easy. it flew by, didn't it? It did. It flew by. Thank you very much for having me.